Yo, have you heard of LinkedIn Learning? If you haven't, LinkedIn Learning is an American massive open online course provider. It provides video courses taught by industry experts in a variety of subjects. Now, why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this because Living Corporate is in partnership with LinkedIn Learning to provide diversity, equity, and inclusion courses. Listen, if you're trying to be a better ally, you want to understand better diversity, equity, inclusion strategies, or you just want to learn how to be a better leader, you got to check out the courses on LinkedIn Learning. So check it out. You can do it one of two ways. You can click the link in the show notes or you go to LinkedIn Learning and you search Living Corporate again. Link in the show notes or go to LinkedIn Learning and search Living Corporate. I'll see you over there. Hey, hey, happy Saturday, everyone. My name is Vonda Page and I am the new host of the new group chat here on the Living Corporate Network. We're going to have a very riveted and um, fun conversation. Specifically today, we're going to be talking about making dents in tech. So just as a way of introduction, uh, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with me, my name is Vonda Page, and I have been in the tech Oh, tech industry my entire career, um, basically since 10th grade um, in high school. And one thing that I have known and understood is that we need to make some serious radical change in the way things are happening. And so, um, you know, I've been a fan of the Living Corporate uh, Network and podcast and Zach for uh, extremely um, long time. Well, for at least two years, I've been a hardcore follower and um, just so excited uh, and um, interested in the work that's happening. The fact that, you know, the Living Corporate Network is all about um, elevating um, and, and giving space to black and brown voices in the work world. And we're going to be talking specifically about making dents in tech. And we're going to be talking about how to drive radical change. So, I'm going to not spend a whole bunch of time doing formal introductions and, you know, giving dossiers and, you know, um, CVs and resumes of people um, because we're going to put stuff in the chat so that you can connect um, with me and our guests. But I want to get us like rolling on the conversation. And so I'm super excited to have my um, first two guests with me today, um, Angel Henry, um, who is an author, um, as well as an old school technologist like me. Um, and she wrote a book called Dents in the Ceiling, and we're going to get into that. Um, and my good friend, Alan Wong, who is the executive director of Prairie STEM in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and so we're going to also talk a little bit about my whole little Midwest connection because I'm a Philly girl, um, in case you can't tell from my accent. And um, but I have been a, a Portland, Oregon, um, I guess, transplant or, you know, I call it my home now because I've been there for seven years. So um, we're going to just get into stuff. And so I'm going to um, kick it off and um, ask Angel to tell a little bit about, you know, how we met and why she agreed to be on the show. Absolutely. Uh, well, first off, thank you for having me. And I am extremely excited to be uh, the, one of the first guests. This is this is amazing. Um, so I, again, it's funny you, you said that. I've been in tech since um, my sophomore year in high school as well. 
And um, that's been my journey. I'm still there now. So I think that's really important is that people know that I'm still working in corporate America. I'm a senior director at a telecom firm. Um, I've got a, a wonderful team that are supporting like 700, almost 700 consultants worldwide. And um, it's important for me to um, to give back, right, um, in terms of sharing the truth um, it, sharing my personal experience of being the only, um, and, and how lonely that is at the table and, um, and, and provide a playbook to the next generation. Because if we're going to break through the C-suite at more than just two African American female CEOs, which is history right now, we're celebrating on one hand, but on the other hand, we're like just two. Uh, so <laughs> exactly. We, we have a we have a long way to go to make that dent through that concrete ceiling, and it is on it is on me. It is on my heart um, to ensure that I am a part of of um, bringing that 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 next generation through faster than what we have experienced, Vonda. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. 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 I agree. Um, you could, I mean, you couldn't have said it better. And I have, um, you know, I am really terrible about when I have a, a hard copy of a book instead of the electronic, cause I dog ear and I like, I'm like a mess with books. So when we meet in person, I'm going to have, ask for a new one. Um, so you can <laughs> sign it that I will like keep in pristine because I usually listen to books on audible. Um, and take notes. And so when I have a hardback, I'm like, Ooh, but this one, I was like, I wanted it. And I got stuff underlined and circled because it's really good. And we're going to get into some of this. Um, so thank you. Um, so Alan, you are up. Um, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, you talk about how we met and, you know, what you're doing and, 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 you know, let's jump into, you know, dents. And cause I think that your organization is making a lot of dents, um, in terms of tech. So let's get into it. No, that's great. Thank you, Rhonda. I'm so happy to be here. Um, I've seen this. I've heard this coming for the better part of almost a year now. This is uh, uh, something that I think needs to be celebrated. I think it needs to be shared far and wide. I think that your message above many of the others that are being shared out there um, is something that resonates not only with me, our community here, but uh, I'm sure across the entire country. And you've heard our story you know, we're here in the middle of America. Um, they like to call it the Silicon Prairie. Uh, what we're doing, you know, I've, I've kind of made a name for myself. I'm the proverbial turd in a punch bowl these days because of the things that I talk about. You know, you talk about radical change, uh, the things that are happening, the things that need to happen. There's a lot of talk, but not a lot of action. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of um, uh, titles, uh, but not a lot of uh, board changes. And mm -hmm. so where do we start? In terms of making that difference, you know, the, you know, our role, Prairie STEM, is we try to impact education. We try to go at the earliest levels because tech is a language, you know, and the best time to learn a new language isn't in high school. It's not as a junior or senior. Yeah. It's at the earliest ages. And when you're talking about mindsets and changing hearts, um, you know, and that's the story that we like to tell. That's a story that we want people to be able to share, not just of themselves, but to connect with others in the community. Mm -hmm. um, and so the good, the bad, the ugly, uh, we want people to share their authentic selves. And I love what Angel was talking about earlier, you know, her book, Dents in the Ceiling. Uh, this is being able, this is sharing those stories that previous to her book, 
I'm sure most of the stories have never been heard by the by the general public. And so by having that out there, for us to be able to connect with our programs, we do programs uh, in, in all communities. Uh, we have a Girls in STEAM program, which is focused on getting bridging that gender gap. You know, working in those underrepresented communities where we're trying to <clears throat> get the two of you as mentors, as people of um, inspiration for, for the kids that we serve. Um, so, yes, I'm really excited to get things started. Yeah, I love that. So we and we can pick up like literally right there um, with, you know, the importance of like learning new things like when you're young. Right. And I think about, you know, um, so I'm 52. Right. So I, you know, went to high co- college in the 80s. Right. Middle school, you know, in the 70s and 80s. And, you know, what we learned was um, in terms of like new languages, of course, you know, you had foreign languages, right? Spanish, Spanish, French. I think we still had Latin. Maybe that was the three the three languages. But when you think about where you get a foundation for science or technical skills, I mean, to your point, like I don't remember taking I mean, we had home economics in school, but I don't remember taking like any chemistry or, you know, science or hard math. I don't remember doing any of that until high school, to your point. So I think it's really important to, you know, really think about and and do things, right, to start driving this education early. Um, Angel, tell us a little bit, talk a little bit about like how you first got into, um, uh, how you first got into, you know, to STEM fields, period, and maybe like your little, your early um, your early exposure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, you're a hundred percent right, Vonda. I'm thinking, uh, my, my K through sixth grade time. Um, I can't think of much other than basic science, right? Earth science or something like that. Um, I'm thinking back to junior high. No, it probably wasn't until, um, ninth and, and yeah, it was ninth grade where I had my, I was introduced to my first computer science class. Okay. And I think that was probably a little bit cutting edge. And I also, and I talk about this with everybody. So I, I'm from Ohio. So born, born and bred Buckeye. Um, and I, I really do think highly of our educational system in Ohio. However, I will say that. Ohio, along with probably most of the country, we were tracked and I I believe students still are. So I was fortunate enough. I just happened to have enough high enough GPA to where I was put in the AP classes. So all of my classes were advanced placement. My counterparts, my friends who were majority African-American were tracked in what, what they what I call general pop. Right. Where it was just where it was regular um, math and science. Mm-hmm. And so it was through those AP and IB courses, international baccalaureate and, and advanced placement courses that I was exposed to extracurriculars like advanced, um, chemistry, physics. And I, I was able to have the elective of computer, um, science. And of course, in that particular elective, I was one of three, maybe four African-Americans, and that that was my introduction in computer science. But when I think about literally my graduating class was 525 students. Out of 525 students, I could probably count on two hands how many African-Americans were in those APIB courses. Okay, so let's get into it, right? So, you know, we we had talked, you mentioned it in the beginning about being the only, you know, at work, right? And then the only, 
you know, in the meeting, the only in the room. Um, so for me, so I went to all, so I grew up in Philly, like I said, which y'all hear me say it like that all the time, but, but so my school was probably 95% black. Right. And we probably had maybe, maybe in my graduating class, I think, um, was maybe about 430 people or something like that. And I know we had maybe three or four, um, Asian students. They were Vietnamese Americans and we had a couple of Caucasian um, kids and maybe a few, maybe one or two South American kids or something like that. But literally our entire school was black. But, um, and, and so for me, um, it wasn't until I went to college that I was like the only person in the room, you know, my freshman year. Um, and I couldn't stand it. I went to a small school in um, the Poconos uh, called East Stroudsburg University. There were 16 black people and we counted each other all the time to make sure nobody went missing because this was 1986. We're in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. It was KKK area and nobody, I mean, it was what it was. So we checked with each other who went home for the weekend. So but I, I, I couldn't deal with it. Right. So I left. I transferred to Temple in my hometown and Temple University, as you know, is a very multicultural, very diverse. There was a black man in the first graduating class of, at Temple University. And so and now they have a black um, black president. Right. And so um, for me, I didn't really see that except for that small instance in, in undergrad. Um, I, I did go to a, a white school. I got bust in sixth grade. That was a nightmare, but we can talk about that another time. But but I hadn't experienced what that's like as a student, right? Um, not having the exposure to technology and also not being the only or one of a few. So what is that like? And I'm thinking, Alan, because, you know, of the work you do, right? I'm sure you have um, stories, right, from students and the kids that come in the to what is that like at that early age when you're the only um in the room whether it's the only girl or only you know um you know black brown asian person young person whatever talk about that a little bit yeah so the hardest thing there is finding mentors and people to inspire uh so that we're able to have those close connections you know okay. it's one thing from an outside organization to be delivering in the schools and after school program. It's another for someone to lean in from the community and say, this is my story. I was in your seat. You know, when I went through, I was the only, and this is what I had to do to get out. And it's, yeah, the, the, the STEM, the science, you know, all those, those experiences are important, but it's really the, the person, you know, the, the personal stories, the personal experiences where they can talk about how they struggled through and persevered, you know, and, and all the things about grit and all the things about um, being able to overcome, those are all true and accurate and, and um, you know, life-changing. But the hardest thing is, I realize the work that we do is, is, is impactful, but it's only as good as those that we're able to get contact with. And why is it that uh, kids have to be lucky enough to get access to those types of opportunities when it should be something that's across the board? Right. Um, you know, we, we work in all the school districts around the state of Nebraska. Um, we are limited in capacity where the demand is huge and the supply is low. Uh, this is something that's not just for North Omaha or South Omaha, you know, or South Chicago or wherever uh, the communities that are not experiencing the same equity and, 
access and opportunity as those, you know, maybe in the suburban communities. So, yeah, it's hard. Uh, and what is it like in the schools when we're there? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing because the kids, they see this as something that is not on their radar. You know, their radar is what do I need to do to get through the day? Not who can I be when I grow up or what college should I go to? Okay. You know, uh, I remember the thing that touched my heart was when we were doing robotics in a third grade classroom where we're teaching literally these kids that just learn how to read and write. Um, they're, they're coming out and doing blockchain coding and getting robots to do things that previously only freshman college engineers were doing. In fact, we're using the same robots. And now when these kids kind of take ownership and understanding of their own value and seeing that, hey, you know, I'm doing robotics, I'm learning robotic operating systems, I'm learning languages, you know, of programming and coding that their own parents, you know, have a hard time understanding. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's a two-way street. We work not only with the students, but we also work with families to support those. Okay. I, I, I love that. I want to, um, you know, that, that when you said about, you know, them having mentors, right. And people sharing their experiences. Um, you know, I think we all think about, um, mentoring from the standpoint of a formal way sometimes, right? Like you have to be part of a program or, you know, a volunteer at a, at a nonprofit. But I personally think you don't have to do that. I think, you know, that mentoring uh, should, should really be like natural and part of what you do, right? Because I think, especially in, in our case, right? Um, you know, there's not a lot of us, you know, Angel had made the point about, we still only have two black women CEOs, like out of 500, like that is really, and we celebrating it like, what a, that doesn't even make no sense. That is literally out of 500, there should be 40 at least, right? That are, that are black women. Um, but, but we all know, right? That these systems, um, and these structures are not set up for any of us, um, right? To, 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 um, be equal, right? To have, uh, equity. Um, but what we can do and what we've all done and what we're doing in our own spaces, right? Is making dents and, and, and even, um, small things or that may be small, like touching a community, right? Of, um, you know, third grade girls, right? Teaching them how to build robots and things, but that's going to trickle out because they will tell their friends, right? They will tell their schoolmates. They will talk to their parents about it and, and to start get it going. So, um, you know, let's kind of like dive into maybe, um, Angel, some of the, the, the struggles, um, that you can talk about as, as an only. And what I wanted to do, um, there's a, there's a couple of pieces in here, um, that are just like really, I mean, <laughs> it's really, really a lot. Like some of it's like around, you know, what that experience is, right? Um, in terms of how we feel internally, but a lot of it is really driven by how, um, people have been socialized and, and, um, conditioned, right? To treat black women, right? Um, period, like, you know, in our society, um, in corporate, right, in tech, because, you know, the world and corporations are just um, a reflection of, of our world in our community, right? And one thing that always trips me out is when, you know, you'd be on LinkedIn or whatever, and they'll be like, oh, we, we shouldn't talk about politics. Well, literally, politics is everything, right? Like, politics is is everything. So when people are, oh, we shouldn't talk about politics. Literally, I'm black all day. You're black all day. Alan's Chinese all day. Like, we, we, we are who we are. And so you can't be like, oh, I don't see color, and I'm not going to talk about politics, because the decisions that people make, 
right? Whether they're talking about who they hire, who they recruit, who they fire, who they fund, right? What areas of the country and the city, cities and, and, and wherever they're giving internet to, right? So when I think about tech, you know, I, I, I have to say I have a love hate relationship. I love tech. I've been in it my entire life, but I also have, um, I, I also struggle, right? With the things that are blatantly obvious that need to happen that they're not doing. And I think, you know, the show, what we're going to talk about, and I, you know, I plan on talking about it until Zach kicks me off. Right. But what we're going to be talking about is, you know, what equity looks like on both sides of technology. Right. So not only like inside corporate America, inside, you know, um, uh, government, you know, education, but what does technical or technology and digital equity really look like? Because to me, I think about communities. So like Alan, you're in your car, right? And you're in Nebraska, right? Tell us why you're in your car and and like about the issue, right? With not even having broadband. Yeah. So uh, you're opening up a big can here. You know, you're opening up a can. I know. I know. (laughs) So for us, uh, obviously, this last year and a half has highlighted highlighted those areas um, where there's a lack of infrastructure. You know, Wi-Fi connectivity, internet connectivity, uh, schooling, virtual remote learning. Those are all big deals, and it all has everything to do with connectivity. If you're not connected, you're pretty much left out of the, you know, you don't have a seat at the table, period. Um, and very sadly... Uh, we're not the only city that's experiencing this. Obviously, this is uh, near and dear to to what our mission is. Um, in in our city here, there is a dividing line, as in a lot of cities. And east of that line, uh, connectivity is okay at best, usually poor to none. Um, and it has to do with the towers, you know, the cell towers. Everybody knows about cell towers. Well, in a city of our size, uh, you know, you're talking half a million people, metro area, um, east of 42nd Street, which is kind of a dividing line, there are two cell towers for the entire northern part of the city. Two. When you're and talking who about, lives in that part of the city? Oh, I don't need it. You know. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. And, and that's when it, 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 it follows, you know, they talk about like the census reports. They talk about drawing lines for for elections. You know, there's no separation of politics from education. There's no separation of, um, you know, culture and all that stuff. But when you're talking about who lives in that part of town, this is where um, not only are the students not getting connected, so they can't get virtual learning. The last year and a half, there's been at best like a baseline hold steady and for the most part, a decline in education. You go west of 42nd Street, and every city block has a cell tower. There is not a single desert or dead zone west of 42nd Street, all the way into kind of the country roads, you know, which is West Omaha, Gretna, those areas. Um, and 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 you and the question is always why. You know, it has to do with infrastructure. It has to do with city planning. It has to do with, and we've talked about this before. The new term that I keep throwing around is the digital redlining of today. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not about, it, I mean, it, the, the traditional historical redlining is still going on in terms of, um, the stuff that, that, that we've experienced over the last 70 years. <clears throat> but the digital redlining now has everything to do with connectivity. 
mm-hmm. which is why it's such an important thing. I mean, this is right there with food, housing, and healthcare. It's connectivity. Without connectivity, um, yes, it has to do with education. Yes, it has to do with virtual learning. But beyond that, it has everything to do with resources and being able to get uh, access to, you know, employment, you know, opportunities, access to, in some cases, um, stimulus funding. Uh, right now in the middle of the pandemic, you know, a year ago, people couldn't even log on uh, to register to find out where vaccination sites were, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, again, uh, digital literacy, technology, uh, understanding, that's all key. Um, unfortunately for a lot of the, um, the, the, the schools and communities we serve, uh, we're their only line of defense in terms of bridging that gap. Wow. So it makes me think of, right, if, if, if there were more, you know, people that looked like us in decision making positions, right? We wouldn't, we wouldn't even stand for that, right? We, like, we wouldn't even stand for it because there's no reason everybody should not have equal access to everything. So I put that, um, that, that term, um, in the chat, digital redlining, because I think about the digital divide and talk about that. Um, and it's just, it's just, I mean, it's super important to, to, to bring it to the table. And so, so to transition that, right? Cause it's two sides, right? Of the, of the issue, the internal piece, right? Which Angel, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, what is it like internally, right? Working inside of a, a organization, whether it's your experience or the experience of, you know, women and other people you've interviewed, but like, what, what does that, how does that show up? Right. In the workplace, when there are so few people who are really fighting right for digital equity and fighting for things to be, um, you know, at least a little more level. Yep. Well, OK, so <laughs> you, you hit my hot button. Here I know I did. OK, so I I'll, I'll, I was one of those individuals when I started in my organization as an analyst and I looked up and I looked up to the one the one director, African-American gentleman director, he's still there to this day, phenomenal advocate um, and advisor, mentor and sponsor of all, of all people, right? But particularly women and people of color. And I thought to myself, well, why isn't he doing more? <laughs> like, it's just him. You know, I know he's helping us little folks down here at the analyst level, but why not help? you know, more of the the managers get to director level or more of the directors get to his level. And now fast forward, I'm in his seat, literally, and I get the challenges. Okay, so one, let's be clear. I can't be a broken record, right? Mm -hmm. I can't be the only lone voice always advocating for women and minorities because I will get tuned out. If in every single meeting, in every opportunity, I become um, the one challenging, then I will get labeled, I will get marginalized, and I will be shuffled in the corner of somebody's mind. And so I will then dilute my voice and my strength. So now I got to be strategic. Now we have the art of strategy where now I'm trying to figure out who can I bring in? Who can I bring along and be allies to also advocate as well? How can I educate and, and, and have them advocate, um, for women and minorities too? And for them to challenge the, um, the candidate pool and the hiring process and the promotion process, right? So there's mm-hmm. that. 
Um, but then there's also this mentality, and I'm going to be real honest, okay? Bring it. We, we kind of got two categories of folks here when they get to this executive level seat. You got the ones that are like, woo, I made it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do everything humanly possible to hang on and to stay there and keep it. And if that means assimilating, if that means checking my black card at the door to do whatever I can to just kind of coast or just kind of stay under that radar and not make any waves for them to not be reminded that I'm black when we're in a meeting so that I can keep this seat, then I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Then you have the other group that's like, okay, I'm here. I'm going to use my power, influence, authority, whatever little bit that I have to try to make a dent and to, and to carve a path for somebody else. But let's be real. That takes a long time. It does. I, I get it. I'm there right now where, you know, it's, it's going to be a while and it's just me. So that's why there's so few and that's why it takes so long. And that's why we're so frustrated. But we can't openly show that on a regular daily basis. Otherwise, we end up diluting in um, our voice. So we have to be strategic. But at the same time, we're we're balancing this line of um, staying black and staying true to ourselves and being authentic and doing the right thing. But but at the same time, we know the bigger world in which we live in. Right. And so you touched on culture. And I want to be, I want everyone here who may not be in tech to be very clear about what's going on in the culture. We have several layers that we have to navigate as African Americans, no matter what level you're at, whether you're an intern or you're in the C-suite, we have to navigate the American culture. Okay. And the hierarchy and the totem pole that that comes with. And bottom line, it's white man on top, black woman. Um, Hispanic woman on bottom. Okay. Yep. Whether you like it or not, that is it. That's what a company inherits. So once a company inherits that particular hierarchy, then you now have the, the, the company culture, right? And every company is different. Um, then you have the tech culture. And let's be real. We're a little snobby. Okay. I mean, it, we're, it's the we're, 10%. It's the we're, 10%. We're just now challenging job descriptions that require a bachelor's and a master's for an entry-level position. Mm-hmm. I mean, up until literally probably one or two years ago, every entry-level position that you saw in tech required at least a bachelor's in computer science or information science or business. Mm-hmm. Okay? We are just now challenging that notion. Okay? So that right there... Just when Alan was talking about access, oh my goodness, that right there just wiped out, right? <laughs> like, right. like 50, 60% of folks, right? Um, because they didn't have access to a four year degree program. Okay. Now you have, um, so you've got the American culture, the tech culture, the company culture, the department culture. Okay. And some departments that I've been in, the, the, the head or the chief of the department runs it very much command and control. Tech inherited the old school manufacturing way that we worked, which is I'm the leader. I know everything. I'm going to set the strategy and the vision, and I'm going to tell everybody else below me what to do. And that worked up until about the dot-com era. So probably I would say, 
you know, 2005 ish is when you started to see that really turn on its head. And you had folks and, and, and kids coming out of college who knew more than the manager. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so now we have this, this role reversal of I'm no longer the smartest person in the room. I no longer know what the solution is. So I can't tell you how to deliver it. Um, the best I can do is give you some money and enough people and, you know, get some barriers out of way. So you, Mr. Miss Smart, Smarty Pants, who knows how to develop that app or code that cool thing, you can go, you can go do that work because you're smarter than me. You've got the latest, greatest technology. And so now we have this shift of command and control work to how do we support knowledge workers? Mm-hmm. And now fast forward, we're seeing that in spades with this whole great, you know, the, the, the great, uh, 40% resignation and the work floor and the workforce. Um, we have to think about the wellness benefits, the, the mental and the health benefits yep. for our employees. We have to allow our employees to, um, work from anywhere or work remotely if we want to keep um, if we want to attract and, and retain top talent. Mm-hmm. So all of these, this is really changing the corporate world and putting it on its head because before they get to set the rules and we had to comply if we wanted to stay there. Right. And now you have the workforce that is now setting the rules and, and now telling people how they're going to work and the company has to react. So this is this is different, right? If you have a company that you know, if I'm an individual and I say, you know what, I'm not going to get vaccinated. So what you going to do with me? Right, right. <laughs> and the company's like, oh shoot, we got to figure this out. If we want to keep these people, we have to be more accommodating. Mm-hmm. This is totally putting everything on its head. Mm-hmm. It's providing us as minorities an opportunity to have a stronger voice at the table. But what I'm finding personally is that really allies, active allies are the key because quite, I'm going to be a hundred percent real right now, right? It's been a year past our dear brother, George Floyd's death. And the majority of our white colleagues are like, okay, we're done. You had your day. You had your time. We heard you got it. Stuff's bad. Get it. We need more people at the table. We need to, you know, attract more folks, but in their mind, they're thinking, but we got time, right? Because we got to grow the pipeline. We don't have a pipeline yet of people. So we have to reach back into K, K through 12. And we have to grow. So in their minds, they're thinking they have time mm-hmm. to hang on to the top spot while they, while they check the box and, you know, throw some funding or something to some resources so that they grow. And I'm going to be here to tell them and repeatedly say over and over again, no, 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 no. We are here. And we are ready to lead now. We've got the Vondas, the Angels, the Tamikas, the Karens, everybody. We have plenty of individuals that are at that, what I call mid-level manager to director level spot, that mid spot Mm -hmm. that with um, the right amount of intentionality can be your future C-suite leaders. Mm-hmm. And and like and, and di- let's dig into it a little more, right? I'm so glad you got reconnected, Alan. So I have this thing. Let me just tell y'all. I So I talk shit about every last one of the apps, every company all day long. And so whenever I'm complaining, let's say about, you know, one of my devices, I like, oh, this damn thing. And, I, and then something will happen. So I have this thing. Like, I think that like all the companies place gremlins in all of their equipment. 
So then when you talk crap about them, they're like, oh, I'm going to get you. So Alan's talking about connectivity in Omaha. Well, Look, yep. the, the gremlins got in there. They said, okay, connectivity, eh, you done. <laughs> so it's, it's, so, you know, so, um, but, but to that point, right. People want to hang on to what they have, but I want to even go back because Zach talked about it last week on um, on Living Corporate um, podcast uh, with his interview about you know people who get into those positions and they have the power, the authority, and the influence and the opportunity right to bring other people aboard right to to hire um you know people uh you know black women you know brown women or whatever and they still don't do it right and so you know at some point and this is where i think there's a a, a radical like a mind shift that has to happen at some point we can't be so ind- individualistic right that it's like i'm gonna get my spot in the hell with everybody else because how are we ever going to like that's literally playing into their whole game right it's literally playing into the whole oppressive structure and system that is the the construct of of our country right here in america and and how corporate is is a reflection of that so the first thing is you know people who are in those positions, right? If somebody's in a director, senior director, or a VP job, um, what are some things, you know, like I want to think about number one, um, if you're, if you're at a big company or even a mid-sized company, but your company, you know, says, Oh, well, we care about the community and we care about diversity or we care about, you know, building our pipeline. You know, Alan, I want you to talk a little bit about like what kind of partnerships, you know, a, a company could do. Right. Um, Because the first thing I think of is, okay, they trying to make Silicon Prairie a thing. So then why wouldn't the big companies who have the money say, hey, Prairie Stem, y'all sound like a cool organization. What y'all doing? How much money do you need so we can get everybody having some uh, Internet? Like, what do we need? So that back to what you were saying about the whole infrastructure thing. Right. Infrastructure takes money. Right. We all know that businesses, that these CEOs and CFOs of business could go to any politician in any district in our country. Right. And say, hey, I'm going to give you two million dollars. You need to build some broadband and, you know, whatever. But but they don't do that. Right. They 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 work together to um, keep this access and things from happening. So I want to talk and like now. Right. We 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 address them. We got to you know, what these issues are and what their problems and how they play out. Let's spend the rest of the time talking about specific things, right, that we want companies to do, that we want people to do, that they actually can do. Because I believe that people think that they don't have power, right? So if I'm not a VP, I don't have power. Or I'm not a CIO, I don't have power. I don't have a certain title. I believe we all have power and we need to utilize that power for for that good. So, you know, as a um, you know, a uh, director of a, a nonprofit, right, who is really focused in on you understand what the root problems are, you see it from an education standpoint, what do you need from companies, right, that 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 are saying that are sincere and serious about, you know, making a change and, and really making a difference? Uh, and I, I can say that one word, we need champions. Okay. We need people who are able to champion these causes that we've identified. You know, uh, connectivity is number one. And we gave proposals 
we have community partners that we've shared this with. Um, and again, this is going to open up a whole nother can. But on a Friday, I'll get people telling me, you know, in those positions, the C-suite positions telling me, yes, we support your cause, whatever you you need, we're there to uh, sponsor you, help you, you just, you know, let us know what you need. And then on Monday, I'll get an email saying neither I nor my organization can support you. I would, you know what? I was just going to say that. I was, I was going to say that. So Vonda, I, I have to be very clear. There, there are a lot of, um, figureheads. Okay. In the organization. Um, and so when sometimes you don't even know you're a figurehead, which is, which is really an eye opener. So when the figurehead comes and has a seat at the table with partners like Alan, and they may legitimately want to do good and, and to do good work and to partner and, okay, our company can do this. Let, let's figure out how. And the moment that they turn around and have a meeting internally and they realize, oh, I don't have as much authority and accountability to make this happen as I thought I did. Mm-hmm. So, right. so let's, let's be clear. If, if I, I remember the first time that I tried to diversify my team, I will never forget it. I inherited a team. And I said to myself, self, you need to have more women on your team, right? This is a little bit imbalanced. The next hire, I'm going to be intentional about seeking out um, a woman or a female of color uh, senior level program manager. Okay, that's that's what I wanted to do. And I found her and she was phenomenal. And guess what they did to me? Oh, we're going to have to have her do another round of interviews. Oh, we're going to have to have her interview with this other guy who's not going to even be working with her, reporting to her. Oh, and I was challenged every single step of the way to bring her in. Okay. So you got that, right? And then you've got that sort of thing. So you have, you have individual, and, and, and no matter, and it goes all the way up, right? Mm-hmm. I have seen, I have seen a C-suite um, African-American man do his level best to create the most diverse and inclusive team that he could. He has been challenged every step of the way. Okay. So you, you, you see that and you're like, why are companies doing more? Well, then you turn around and you get all the red tape. You know, just, it happens in government, right? Mm-hmm. Again, I've seen the story where um, I had an active ally who wanted to partner with an African-American-led um, organization that was trying to get a contract with the government for um, uh, for COVID testing, right, and to do contact tracing. He was so, I mean, this man was so infuriated and frustrated about the level of red tape that it was taking to get this particular minority organization certified Versus the counterparts that had just gone through the exact same process sailed through, but those were led by majority individuals. See, and then the thing is, and in those situations, right, if you're too vocal, like kind of to your point earlier, right, you get ostracized, right, you get, you know, criticized, you get, um, you know, 
gaslit, like to make it seem like, you know, the things that you're talking about don't make sense or like you're getting it wrong. And well, what do you mean? No, that other organization, they had a similar process or we do that to all the candidates. No, you don't. You know, when the candidate's name is Brett Jones and he gets hired by, you know, uh, you know, Evan Smith. Right. It's like, hey, you know, hey, oh, hey, this is my buddy. We went to, you know, blah, 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 da, da, da. And, and so it's a totally different thing. And that experience, right, um, is one of the things that continues to make, you know, being the only, right, super challenging. I have to, um, there's a, um, a section in the, in the book. So, um, the whole book is just really good. It's riveting. Half of the stories, I feel like, hey, well, she's, you know, sitting. Did she talk to me? Like, who, like, how she hear that? Right. Even though it's not me, cause some of them are like, Super like, you know, because I think and the thing I'm learning, right, is that many of us, we have the same experiences. Right. Um, If we are not part of the dominant white male group. Right. We experience the same things, the same challenges. And for me, you know, I've always um probably. Yeah. Since college. Right. Have had a, just a very, very diverse group of of friends, of colleagues, you know, of, of schoolmates. And what I have learned is that there are more things that we all have in common, right, than that than we don't. And that the problem is that dominant group, right, that one third, they have so much power, influence, authority, and they're so um, invested in keeping things the same that, listen, we can't, what do Audre Lorde say? The master's tool won't dismantle the master's house, right? We have to do things in a radical way. And I think that, you know, we can think about it, right? Talking about, you know, champions, talking about mentoring, but think about it from the standpoint of us all taking individual, you know, um, action and accountability to say, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to let this, let this go down this way anymore. Right. And so when I think about, you know, last summer, you know, right after George Floyd and, and all of the things and, and looking at things in such a different way, I, I really, it's something snapped in me. Like literally I snapped and I was like, you know what, this, you know, status quo, this, you know, incremental, oh, begging for this. And, you know, I can't tell you, Alan, how many organizations I have like tried to raise money for while I've worked in big corporations and having to beg this person for a thousand dollars and beg somebody for this. And like, literally I'm working at multi billion dollar damn companies and I'm begging somebody in another department, can they give me a thousand dollars so I can do a volunteer thing to, you know, um, bring girls in for a day to, so they can get exposed to women, right. To talk about tech and to talk about, you know, you don't have to major in computer science to work in technology. I didn't major in communication in that. I have two communication degrees, right. I took a couple of, um, you know, tech courses, but not till I was out of college because we didn't have that when I went to college. Right. So, so, you know, um, it's really important to drive it. But in one of the chapters, um, the chapter made service, which, you know, that chapter speaks to me like so much. Um, and, and all of them deep cuts, but made service, but you talk, there's a, a story in here and I'm just going, I'm just going to read it. Um, and then we can kind of go into it, but just a little piece of it. Um, but this um, this uh, person in the in, that you interviewed says one fateful day I had simply had enough when my supervisor asked Kevin for the report after I had already provided it. And Kevin quickly whispered the update. I said, is there an echo in the room? The whole team snickered. 
And my supervisor looked up from his notes and smiled, unaware that the joke was at his expense. While the meet, when the meeting concluded, I marched up to him, towering over him in my best try not to be angry black girl, but firm, assertive stance, right? Um, and tone to inquire, why do you ask Kevin for the report after I've already given it? He looked up from his chair like a little boy being scolded for getting dirty while playing in the backyard in his church clothes. Then his face shifted to a blank stare and he looked back down at his notes. He started shuffling them, fidgeting and murmuring with no clear response. I pivoted on my heels and marched out the room to Kevin's desk. I asked him, Kevin, do you notice that you have to repeat the status report after I do? He looked, said, yeah, and shrugged to his shoulders. I told him that he could help stop it. He nodded his head, declaring, yeah, I guess so. After that, Kevin would defer to my initial report until one day it got contentious. And my supervisor kept pressing Kevin to give a detailed report. Kevin had finally reached his, reached his wall and asked, haven't you noticed I just repeat what Angel says? My supervisor blinked and we all left in awkward silence. Kevin's pushback renewed my courage once again. So in a one-on-one -on -one session with my supervisor, I asked him, do you want a different format? Do you need more detail? He stared at me blankly and retorted, I just need to hear it from him. And then he stood up and left the room. <laughs> because that is how it is. That is how it is. That is how it is. I have, I have, <laughs> I have said something in the room and had somebody say the same thing after me. And I said, uh, thanks for repeating what I just said. Like, because I have gotten to the point where I can't take it no more. So if somebody repeats me, I say, well, thanks for repeating me. Thanks for repeating that. Um, but did everybody not hear it when I said it? You know, but now it took me years to build up that courage, right? <laughs> right? Oh, to, to, to do that. Yes. I definitely wouldn't have did that, you know, when I was 28 or right. probably even 38. <laughs> right. right. I wouldn't well, have did it. There's this notion of just be happy to be here. Right. right. We, we just we we got you. You got here. You 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 climb through K through 12. You clawed through. Right. Despite not having Internet access, despite maybe, you know, experiencing homelessness or, you know, your parents having job loss, um, you know, being the first to get to college, being the first to graduate. You you we have clawed through all of this up to get to the seat. And guess what? Just be happy to be there. So making waves and pushing back and challenging the status quo is even if it's not told to you um, right out overtly, you kind of tell it to yourself because you look around and you're like, there's not many. There's I'm the only one. I made it. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm lucky. I, I, I sacrificed. I did all this. It's finally paying off. The Lord has blessed me with this wonderful opportunity because let's face it, tech companies are lucrative. I mean, tech careers are lucrative, right? I mean, just coming out of college back in the late nineties, my starting salary was 55 grand, right? And it just goes up from there when you start adding bonuses and, and all the perks and things, right? So when you compare what you're doing and, and your life, um, with your counterparts that are graduating with other degrees and they're, they're, you know, a mountain of debt. And here you come out and you're, you're making some paper. 
and you're excited and you're happy. You got a brand new car, an apartment or a condo. You might even be getting a new house in your early 20s compared to when your parents had to save up and wait to drop that 20% you know, deposit when they're in their 40s. You're now in your 20s, especially with us in the Midwest. The cost of living is pretty low. So we can get a, a nice, you know, single family house um, with some yardage and some space um, in a nice neighborhood if you graduate and you land your first tech job, right? So you're not automatically catapulted into a different socioeconomic status than mm-hmm. when you probably grew up. Um, you're in the suburbs, you know, you're navigating again, you, you're, you got a fancy car, you got all this, these perks and bells and whistles when it comes to a lifestyle. Who in the heck wants to jeopardize that? Who wants to give that up? Who wants to have to start all over again at another company? So of course we're going to toe the line and, and support the status quo. So, you know, again, I back coming full circle, I had to check myself. Because again, I was one of those analysts that are like, why aren't these, you know, senior black folks doing more? Well, heck, I was a part of it, right? So supporting and upholding and not challenging and not calling it out when it was blatantly, obviously unfair um, because of the fear factor. Yeah. And and the fear factor is I don't want to give up what I have clawed and scraped and worked and sacrificed so hard for. And Mm -hmm. who could blame you? Right. I mean, you know, you everybody in that seat has to make that decision. But, uh, you know, to Alan's point and and to all of the uh, organizations that are like his, I can just say from personal experience in the past. Um, in terms of, you know, the company that I have now, I'm so thankful. My, uh, my SVP, he was one of the ones that was immediately like, yes, right? So when I turned back and said, hey, 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 dude, you know, I got this idea here. I want a partner. Are we okay with that? He's like, yes, make it happen, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, move the dollars. You know, finance is kind of like, uh, wait a minute. This isn't in the budget. He openly said, I don't care. Make it happen. Mm-hmm. We need yep. more people like him. And, mm-hmm. and we just, yes. we don't. Yeah. And that, and so back to the champion, we need more champions that don't look like us that are, that have the authority and accountability to make it happen and to cut through the red tape mm-hmm. because that's all it really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it looks like we lost Wanda for a little bit. Uh, I'm still here. Can you see her on your end? Yes, I can. I see mm-hmm. her. Yeah. I was, I okay. thought we lost uh, you again. I can't. Um, I hear everything you're saying. Uh, you know, my question, Angel, to you is on, on my end, uh, there, sometimes there are infighting of organization for the limited resources that are available to conflicts. Yes. Where instead of being allies for one another, you end up being competitive and trying to climb over each other. Yes. You know, where you're basically in my world, it seems like we're fighting for scraps. When I know in terms of funding, there's more funding and aid available than ever before. Yes. Uh, in your experience and with the people that you've seen <laughs> and the people that you've talked to, uh-huh. you know, what are your thoughts on that? A hundred percent. So again, back to that thing, people need to understand corporate America is a microcosm of America. So we are very siloed. So you'll have an organization that has one mission, one vision. Everybody's supposed to be marching to the same high level strategic orders. But Vonda's smiling because she knows 
that it's very siloed based on department. And there is absolutely competition between departments for that top spot. So if you have every leader, what a leader over communications, a leader over finance, a leader over IT, um, a leader over sales and marketing, all of those little leaders are fight are vying for the next spot, right? The next CEO or or you know um, SVP or whatever position. So if if they can look good, <laughs> right? Um, then then they will try to outdo or compete the other, mm-hmm. and 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 they all have their own strategic visions and alignments. But more importantly, and Alan, this is what you care about the most: they all have their own individual budgets. So when you are coming to a company, you have to be very strategic and very clear about who it is that you're targeting and and find out their why, because you can't just come to the company as a whole. That would be great that you would think and, you know, common sense would say it's the company. They they all have the same vision and mission. Why do why would I need to have to learn how to navigate the inner workings of this organization to get a few hundred thousand dollars to do good, which is what the company has already pledged. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is the company may have pledged that and the company itself may want to do something great. But at the end of the day, it's those individual business units that have to fund the initiative. And, and they're looking often- for who it, that's right. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you're going to have to win over that leader of that department or that business unit and then you will see some traction. But until you can get to, my grandmother had this saying, follow the money. I love, 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 love grandma. Um, and, and it's true. If you want to get something done, you're going to have to go to the person who holds the purse strings. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not sure on my end why it says the stream was unable to connect due to a network error. I can only see you, but I can't see or hear Vonda. I'm here. I'm, I'm on um, here. Yeah, Vonda's okay. still here. She hears you, by the way. <laughs> Point on following the money. Um, you know, right now, because of stimulus funding, because of federal grants, there is more money coming into the states than ever before. And the problem is nothing has changed for, from the boots on the ground. Our infrastructure is no different than it was 15 months ago. Connectivity is the exact same where it was when we know over the course of the last now, you know, going on 18 months, that funding, which was in the, you know, $58 million range in spring of last year, increased to $240 million to the winter of last year, which increased again into one state, K through 12, $580 million as of March of this year. Nothing has changed. Yep. So I can answer that real quick. Okay. So th- this, this is a, this is a nothing new problem. Okay, so let me this tell is you. Where this. I want your your grandmother needs to be on our board. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nothing new problem, and here's why. So um, I married into IT. So my husband is on the infrastructure side. I tell everybody I'm software, he's hardware. When my computer goes down, I, I hand it over to him to help me. Um, but he has been in infrastructure his career, and he worked for um, Dell Computers. And Dell would always have, you know, contract with organizations or companies and and they would have literally thousands upon thousands of laptops, mice, peripherals, um, you know, actual laptops and and, and, um, what they call carts for schools or hospitals. Right. So Dell would have all this equipment in a warehouse. 
an organization would purchase it. And sometimes they purchased the wrong thing. Maybe it was, you know, um, it, it was broken and they had to, to fix it. And so it goes back to the warehouse. And so over time, you have, you know, stations in major cities throughout the country that have hardware that's sitting up and piling up that can be used, right? So, so Dell would donate. My husband would be part of go to this warehouse and deliver the, these literally hundreds or sometimes thousands of pieces of equipment. Again, monitors, um, mice, peripherals, laptops to entire school districts. Guess what would happen? Those things would sit in the warehouse of those school districts. Why? Why? Because of lack of infrastructure. The school itself could literally not handle all of the equipment. It didn't have the infrastructure for the internet to, for the students or the teachers to connect. So they would, and so, and then you, the, the problem compounds even more where if this whole notion of if you don't, and this is in corporate America as well, by the way, if you don't use the money, you lose the money. So yep. if I write a budget, whether it's a grant for a school or whether it's um, a department leader in a company, if I write a proposal for X amount of dollars, I have to use all of that money. Otherwise, I won't get it again the following year. Yep. So that's the, again, that's the double-edged sword for nonprofits. You know, when we get the money, if you don't use it, you don't get it next year. Right. Know, totally different from a for-profit entity where you're talking about trying to increase revenues and turn those into investments and cash flows. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know, well, we have the same problem. Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's, I, it's truly ironic, but we had the same problem. I ran, um, I had one of my senior program managers run a project at the end of the year. It, uh, we got called in to help. It was probably the first part of October and the senior leader was frantic because he had to buy $150,000 worth of licensing for software so that he could use that money because he had he said at the beginning of the year right. he was going to buy it there was a change in the infrastructure he no longer needed it but he still needed to like hunt and peck and look high and low mm -hmm. to find the money for some software that he didn't his team didn't even really need now yep. back to this whole point of and i i asked this and kind of got the what are you talking about, Angel? I said, well, why don't you just give the 150 to this other department over here who needs it? Uh, I call well, no, why would I rule. do that? I'm not going to get another 150 next year. Right. So let me yeah. waste this 150 so I'm guaranteed my my full budget next year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is, yeah, so this, um, this is um this has been such an amazing conversation. We're already at like an hour and a minute. Just goes to show, right, how much we can talk about this, right? And how how much um you know influence, right, tech has on everything, right? And so, you know, I am I just have to say thank you again. Um I wish we had more time, but you know, I'm going to be doing this every other Saturday. Like I said, until whenever. Um, and so I definitely want to have you both back. Um, I want to tell our audience to, you know, reach out. 
um, to Alan, Angel, or I, you know, connect with us on LinkedIn. Um, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, this was a really good conversation. And, you know, as far as leaving you with something, I really want people to think about, you know, if you think about the things that we talked about and you think about your position, you know, whatever, wherever you are, whatever your job is, career, you know, you can mentor, right? You can champion, you can, um, you know, make small dents in some ways. So, you know, join me back um, on uh, the 28th, same time, same bad channel. And we will talk some more about how to drive radical change and, you know, get the tech uh, industry to make some changes um, that we're going to help to push, right? And we know we don't have to do that within confines of corporations or whatever. We can do that, um, you know, through building coalitions and working with each other. So um, peace out for now. Um, thank you to my guests. And I will talk with everyone soon. Thank, thank you. you. Bye, y'all. All right. Bye.